Welcome to the Armani Talks podcast. I'm your host, Armani Talks. In this podcast, I'm helping you level up your communication skills every Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. If you're new to the channel, be sure to hit that subscribe button right down below for the latest content on improving your soft skills. Today, we are back for Unapologetic Truths, episode 15, with Harsh Strongman, Life Math Money. How's it going? It's all well, Arman. What about yourself? Doing great. I'm glad we were able to squeeze the episode in today. You were just at a vacation? Yeah, I just got back yesterday. So just recovering from the track and relaxing. I didn't want to break our continuity. So let's do a podcast today. We'll keep it short. Yeah, we've been consistent, man. It's been over a year now, I think. Well, yeah, I would say we started, what, a year ago? And this year we decided to do it monthly. And then eventually we decided to do it bi-weekly. Yeah, and people seem to really like it. So it's going well and it's fun to do. (laughs) (laughs) It's fun and it's a good chance for long-form communication. Definitely agree there because most of our communication is short form when it's on Twitter and Instagram. And writing blog posts, is it's not done that often. So this is a great way to talk about a lot of different topics at once and have a sufficient amount of depth to have nuance. Mm-hmm. And there was an episode a while back where you brought up how you know Joe Rogan was one of the pioneers for a lot of the long-form com- uh, conversations. Have you been staying updated with a lot of his, uh, like, like his mob attacks recently? I haven't. I'm familiar with something where there was some guy who wanted him off Spotify because he doesn't like something he said about COVID, which is like, you know, it's like going to Facebook and saying that, you know, if you want me to be on Facebook, you have to delete this person's account, which is really a dumb thing to ask for. But I think the guy just deleted his own Spotify account or something. And... That was the end of it, yeah. as far as I understand. I think the guy's name is Neil Young, and he said that he didn't want to be on the same platform as Joe Rogan for misinformation. And I think what ended up happening with that is that he eventually got his music taken off of Spotify. And then right after that, there was this one other artist who shared a clip of uh, Joe Rogan, like a collection of his episodes throughout the year, where he was saying the N-word. And she shared the clip and she's like, I'm leaving Spotify now too. So after that, I think Spotify removed at least 100 Joe Rogan episodes. And that's how much I've been updated with the issue. Wait, if Spotify removed Joe Rogan's episodes, that's messed up, okay? Because he should say what he wants to say. It's his podcast. And if someone doesn't like it, they shouldn't listen to it. Or if they want to go to a different platform, they have that choice too. It's just weird for Spotify to remove this guy's content for no reason. So I think if his episodes are actually being removed, then Joe Rogan made a mistake by signing that ex- signing that exclusivity agreement with Spotify. You know what I mean? Because now he's mm-hmm. like at the behest of all these mobs. Because if if he can't say what he has or what he thinks to say, then his podcast will eventually get fucked. Because then he will have to self-censor to keep his episode alive. And that is going to reduce the quality of his episodes. 
So he made a mistake if he is actually being censored like that. That said, I'm not really aware of the whole situation properly. Yeah, I don't know if he's being censored for new content, but I'm pretty sure a couple of his past episodes were deleted. Do you think Joe Rogan's one of those guys that could be canceled? I feel like he has too much power to be canceled. I mean, at the end of the day, if you get canceled, it's really, from an online perspective, that is, you can always move to a new platform. And someone like Joe Rogan is that people don't, people already know so much about him that if he moves to a different platform, people will go there and check out his content. So it's kind of difficult to unperson Joe Rogan. Although I think the whole business of canceling and censorship is evil because you're preventing people from saying and doing things they want to do because you don't agree with what they have to say, which makes no sense whatsoever. And it's outright wrong. But it is how it is. I think Web3 will really solve this problem at some point. Currently, the big big issue is that all of the internet's discourse is somewhat controlled by a small number of corporations, such as Facebook, Twitter, and Google. Because Facebook owns Facebook, and it owns Instagram. Twitter owns, well, Twitter. And Google owns YouTube. And these are the biggest platforms for social media. And these guys kind of coordinate and delete people they don't like. So it's that... The biggest reason why we have censorship is that content platforms are heavily centralized and decentralization should solve it at some point. I don't know when it will happen, but it's going to happen because the demand is clearly there. And if someone creates a platform like that, I'm more than happy to support them. The only thing I want to avoid is that you know, fake decentralized platforms, which are decentralized, but they are not like they're, they're not decentralized at all, but they're claiming to be decentralized like BitCloud, where it's like run by one guy and it's it's not decentralized. It's just, it's just an act of being decentralized. Mm. What is that? Like for forums or for uh, content? BitCloud. What are you talking about? A BitCloud? It's it's a replacement for Twitter that is supposedly based on a blockchain. But I, I'm not fully sure how it works, but it does not seem like it's a decentralized blockchain. It seems to be owned by the company. You ever heard of this guy called Valuetainment? Valuetainment? I have not. So he has, uh, he has a YouTube channel predominantly content for entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And recently he launched a podcast where he discusses a lot more political issues and worldwide events. And he was talking about the whole Joe Rogan issue. And he says that if Joe Rogan gets kicked out of Spotify, him and Elon Musk should start their own media company. Because Elon Musk is often dealing with a lot of these uh, media attacks as well. And I could see him partnering up to do a project like that. And then they were kind of debating. They were like, Eh, I mean, does Elon Musk really have the time to start a media company? But what what do you think about that? Uh, Joe Rogan and Elon Musk duo. That would be really interesting to see. I don't know much about whether Elon Musk would want to do it or if it's in his best interests or not, because his companies are SpaceX and um, 
you know tesla and they kind tesla. of depend on the government's goodwill in a way and to go and do something like this which is which would probably anger all these leftist governments might end up causing him more problems than what he's solving you know what i mean they could mm-hmm. start messing up his companies stop giving him licenses or whatever just as you know a retaliation so it might not work out well for him for this guy joe rogan it's a good idea if he decides to do it i think donald trump started something called getter have you seen that i heard he was starting it he already started it yeah he already started it mhm getter.com so on getter someone stole my username so i am @right harstrongman on getter instead of life math money so on getter if you go i'm @right h a r s h s t r o n g m a n and not life math money because someone already took it so and how has your experience been with it i don't know i just tweeted like 3 4 times on it and then i forgot about it <laughs> you're just everywhere i make an account everywhere just so that people can find me somewhere uh so i was going through your twitter page because i always have it pulled up as we're over here you know doing mm-hmm. these episodes and there was this one post that you had of guess guess what's coming and you had a bunch of these things that look like tickets or bookmarks uh, what was that mm you will find out in due course of time <laughs> okay so it, it's still uh, that is everything that we're willing to tell at this moment nice so you got some uh, big stuff coming up maybe <laughs> so do you ever intend on doing an event for armani talks like a public speaking event or something absolutely so i was actually i have a few clients from around the uh, around the world australia canada us etc and a lot of them give me different ideas once we're done with our calls and one of them was really like you know kind of mapping out how a live event would look like and he has a lot of experience in that field so maybe down the line uh when i have a little bit more of the logistics set up uh is something that i'd be open to doing um it wouldn't only just be for public speaking it would be a lot for you know practicing impromptu speaking uh, storytelling and much more so i have been thinking about it um what about you or is that something that you're looking into not as of now there might be something i could do online in the future but not a physical event because it just it just it'll just take way too long and i don't have the time or the bandwidth to do that yet yeah, you think, need a team for that for sure yeah more than that you also have to like dedicate at least 6 to 7 months you can't like just delegate all of it you know what i mean you have to like make sure everything is going correctly and according to your liking so it it's a bigger commitment than it seems at first but i think that you could do something like that for sure for your brand you could definitely like come up with some kind of meet up group in different cities like make friends meet people learn to talk and you know like 
a big problem with social skills and people trying to build it is that you when your social skills suck you have no friends and the way to build social skills is to go out and talk to people and how do you do that when you have no friends so it's like a bad position to be in it's like when you're applying for a job they're like sorry sir we need some experience and you're like man this is my first ever job how am i going to get experience lie <laughs> just make something up on your resume yeah don't quote me <laughs> <laughs> well this is what life math money said <laughs> <laughs> it works with women too you know like sometimes like you know let, let's say there's someone who's like 18 years old and if he acts like he gets women all the time then all the women will be interested in him and if he acts like he's never been with a woman then women will not be as interested because they think that well if no one else is interested in him that means something must be wrong with him so mm-hmm. it's it's like you need to break the circle once and then your problem is solved forever didn't you have a tweet on this recently it was about nice guys uh i don't remember let me see there was one tweet you said that the reason that nice guys fail with women is because they're not able to create excitement in women. Ah, yes. So the reason why nice guys fail with women is that they're boring as shit. So women, you know, the average woman's life is boring. All she does is like she goes goes to her job, she comes back, she watches TV in her house, she goes to sleep and she lives like this on repeat. Her life isn't interesting or exciting in any way. She's a normal human being. and she is looking for excitement she's looking for fun she wants to go out and be taken on an taken on an adventure and the nice guy is someone who has no <laughs> adventure in his life this is a guy who's doing the same thing he's just working a job he's going to sleep and repeat so that's really really boring for women and women hate being bored women would rather be abused than be bored like over the long term so This is why nice guys fail with women and even like like abusive jerks get women more than nice guys do and that's because these guys are not boring. So if you can't get women, your first priority is to not be boring. Because if How you, do you recommend someone does that, get some hobbies, go out more, learn new skills. For example, let's say that all you do is you sit in your house all day, you play video games, you work and you you know order your food at home and then you go to sleep so you have no hobbies and you're just living in your house so what can you do to fix that so you could try taking up a hobby like hiking and go out to on a hike every week alone or with a friend and you will meet people there you could take hobbies like singing dancing or anything that will put you in touch with more people and at the same time make you a more interesting person and don't do it for girls like do things that you like like figure try a lot of different things and figure out what you like and pursue those interests and develop them in yourself and that is how you actually create a life that's worth living because you don't want to live a life where you're just working and then sleeping and then working and then sleeping and eating you also want pleasure fun you also want fulfillment and that is stuff that comes from your interests your hobbies from your goals you want to pursue etc so you need to build a life with lots of different things 
not just exist. You don't want a half life. You want a full life. You know what I mean? And that's mm-hmm. what women want as well. They want a full life and women typically are living half life. So they're looking for to you to, you know, get a more complete life full of adventure and fun. It's like, you know how when you were a kid, you you would like you would not be boring you you wouldn't go to a playground and just sit and stare at everyone right you would go and play you would like take the girl's hand and like you know play with her etc so they want that yeah, they you want, want to be f- adventurous yeah they want the fun of their childhood back and that's what everyone wants to be honest guys or girls so if you're boring it's just life is going to suck for you and girls are not going to want you because their lives are already boring they don't want someone else who's boring that's a good point. I mean, most of social skills is is bringing a childlike spirit into an adult body. If you can do that, then you've mastered social skills to a certain extent, which pretty much just means make it the aim to have fun. Whichever atmosphere you're in, uh, try to be the first one to tell a joke. Uh, be the first one to laugh when you see someone else telling a joke, which is very difficult for some people. Like someone else is telling a joke and they're over here looking like a stone face. And you do that enough times, it's just going to kill the vibe. And that's one thing that technical people don't understand sometimes. I know because I'm speaking from experience. The whole concept of vibe, which is it's like, wait, what does that mean? Uh, Harsh, this is going to seem like it's uh, completely off topic, but it's going to connect to what we're saying. Okay. But how how's the divorce rate in India? Is that something that's common or not really? It's like less than 1%-ish. Okay, so it's, it's like very rare. So You do there was hear this about one... it every once in a while, but it's like super rare. Like of every 100 people you meet, maybe one person is divorced. Is it like a shameful activity? It used to be. It used to be. Lately, it's becoming more normalized, especially in cities. Okay, the reason I'm asking is because I had this coworker a few years back. At one time, you know, I come to work. And we're all having lunch together. And he's super mopey. And he's normally the very talkative one. So we're over here asking him what's going on. And he's like, I have to divorce my wife. And we're like, why? And that's when he starts telling us a story about how he thinks his wife cheated on him, but not really. And I want to give you the scenario. And I want to get your uh, feedback. What do you think? Did she cheat or not? So apparently she's been on her phone a lot as of late and this made this guy curious he's like when she goes to sleep i'm going to check her phone so he starts checking it and he starts seeing a whole bunch of different messages with her and her ex and as the messages are going on she is supposed to meet up with this ex they picked a location the date and everything but the day of the meetup she cancels last minute and she's like, no, I can't do it. I love my husband too much. So at that stage in the table, one group of the people were like, nah, bro. I mean, that's good as cheating. While the other half was like, what are you talking about? She literally did not cheat. So that's why that guy was you know, stuck. He's like, I think I have to divorce my wife, but I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that was cheating or not? Hmm. That's a hard question to answer. I would side, like, I I wouldn't say one or zero, but 
I'm inclined to say she didn't cheat because, well, she didn't cheat. But she had the intentions to cheat earlier. So it's not, it's not like completely forgivable. But at the end of the day, Arman, we're all human, you know, in the sense that we all make mistakes. And she hasn't yet made the mistake. She was in the process of making it. And then she snapped out of it. So it's it's a it's a difficult question, Arman. I don't I don't think it's a <laughs> I wouldn't say it's cheating, but it's definitely not complete loyalty either. You know how like you have murder and there's manslaughter? This is like manslaughter. It's not like <laughs> a guiltless offense, but it's also not murder. Yeah, and so it's difficult even for the people on the table. So you must have imagined how difficult it was for that guy. But eventually, he ended up filing for a divorce. Oh, because, ouch. Yeah, she, she, yeah I, because... Because? Because of the intent. Because she was still, you know, over here. She had like pages and pages of messages with this other guy. And, you know, once they were done with the divorce, they still have kids together. So they have to still see each other. Uh, he asked her, why? Why did you do it? I mean, we've been, uh, what, high school sweethearts for over 17 years now. How could you ruin all of this? And that's when she said that the excitement in the marriage had left. Everything was too predictable. And it was it was the wake-up call for this guy. Because after the divorce, I recall he was doing a whole bunch of different adventures. And he would always invite me in work. He's like, yo, man, I'm going dragon boating. Uh, this weekend you want to come i was like what the hell is that you ever heard of dragon boating i have not okay let me just see if i'm even pronouncing it right it's interesting that he actually divorced her i don't know i don't know if that was the right move or not because she didn't she didn't end up going through it you know it's like let's say you have an alcoholic and the alcoholic is well, he has quit addiction. Like, he has stopped drinking. But then he has, like, a really bad day. And then he, like, goes and buys a bottle of alcohol, puts it in his fridge, pours it in his glass. But instead of drinking it, he throws it away. So has he broken his, what do you call it, his abstinence or not? I, I do think that what the woman did was not right in any way, shape, or form. I just don't know whether it warrants a divorce because she actually did not go through it. Mm -hmm. But I would still trust that woman much, much less. Yeah, and it's it's that's where it all starts from. And then in the future, just think about it if he didn't divorce her. In the future, when she's like, hey, I'm going out for a girl's trip with my friends. In the back of his mind, he's going to be thinking... Is she really or not? Yeah, in that case, like, you, you can't travel without me. Like, if you want yeah, to play you, with me, you can't travel without me. <laughs> because your history shows that you can't be trusted. <laughs> <laughs> I Okay, so for me, initially, you, you remember how I said that the table was divided? I was in the first side of the table. I'm like, bro, man, she cheated. You got to divorce her. Over time, you know, I do see your perspective too, where, you know, kids are involved. I mean, do you really want to break up the family unit? But then there's the other part of me that's like, dude, if you keep it, I mean, 
I have this philosophy. If you're going to keep bringing up someone's mistake, even after uh, they apologize, then it's best to not accept the apology because over time, it's a ticking time bomb. And it's very rare for a guy to divorce a woman in the U.S., but divorce rates are pretty high. So that's why I was initially asking how the divorce rate in India is, where you said it's 1%. I think that's very small compared to U.S. U.S. divorce rates are very high. I think it's like 50%. Mm-hmm. I think lately they've been declining because people are just not getting married there. Like the average age of marriage keeps increasing in the U.S. and even here in India. So that's like lowering the divorce rate, but it's also like lowering marriage as a system. So it's like societies are failing. Mm-hmm. I'm still, I don't know. I'll have, to, I'll have to put more thought into what the right course of action should have been. But off the top of my head, I do think that divorce was too harsh in this case, where the woman kind of didn't cheat. She kind of backed out. However, I can also see the situation where, you know, now that he's aware that she was going to cheat, he can never trust her again. Never. Because if he trusts her again, he's just an idiot. So how long can you stay married to someone you can't trust? And that's an interesting question. They were married for 18 years, which is insane. And I recall there was this one time at work where I came and there was our manager who got really close to him physically. And it's like, hey, you have to work this Saturday. And I just recall this guy who was getting divorced yell at the manager. He's like, well, you should have fucking told me earlier. And I mean, most of the office just kind of looked at him and he was just like, oh man, I'm really sorry for the outburst. And he sat right behind me. So I was actually witnessing this guy going through depression and his whole rebuilding process. Because I hear that for men, when they get a divorce, especially that long, especially the way that it happened with him, uh, they go through depression. And, you know, I'm over here seeing like this guy's mood swings up, down. I see him gaining a lot of weight. But then suddenly I see him losing a lot of weight when he's in the process of rebuilding himself. And then I see something strange. He starts becoming this Casanova out of nowhere. You know what that means? Yes. Yeah, like he starts picking up all these women after some time. And he keeps showing me all these pictures. He's like, that was my date from last night. I was like, okay, man. I think this... <laughs> Good priority, boy. <laughs> yeah, his, his, he, was, um, he was like a pretty a chubby Puerto Rican guy in his mid-40s, I would say. But after the divorce, I mean, he did a good job. He rebuilt himself and got in shape. I started picking up all these hobbies and he started to be more exciting. And he told me that his ex-wife wanted to come back to him because he was showing so much more value than he did when they were actually married. Yeah, I don't know whether that's a good idea or not, like. You can have her like as a side trick now, but like, to actually date her again is like a mistake. It's a mistake. There's a reason why it failed last time, didn't it? I oh, think yeah. that a lot of the women nowadays, they see so many movies that they expect guys to be way too exciting. And they, they have this image 
in their head, which is unrealistic, which no guy could ever meet, you know. Like they're expecting like a James Bond level of um how do I put it? Of suave in a way, and that's just unrealistic. And everyone will at some point become familiar. So a lot of it is a cultural issue where women kind of expect way too much from a guy while providing not enough. In the sense that you want me to be all this this guy who's like super exciting and you know makes a lot of money and is like there for you, etc. And what are you providing me? Mm-hmm. So there's a huge disconnect there where it's like you demand the world and you offer ten dollars. And it's just unrealistic. I'm not going to lie, Harsh. Uh, I'm actually pretty uh, surprised by your opinion where you were pretty forgiving towards, you know, the whole ordeal that I described, which for some reason I thought you were going to be like, oh, no, no, she's out of here. Uh, you seemed more forgiving. I wonder if that's why, because um, normally divorce rates are so low in India where it's like a last case scenario. No, it's just that going through a divorce itself is a very costly and destructive experience not just for yourself but also for your children i don't think a woman who didn't actually end up cheating is worth going through all of that for yourself maybe you could like i don't know it's it's like just like me saying things off the top of my head but you could just cheat on her and call it a day you know what i mean yeah, it's a very complex issue. It's a very complex issue. And I think that divorcing a woman who she didn't actually like sleep with this guy, I'm assuming. So it's like nuking a country because you didn't like you thought they might go to war or something. And yeah, I, I get that what she did is unforgivable and she should not be trusted again, but I think divorcing her is like overkill in this situation and like hurts you as well because divorce is not a process where you get out scot-free. You get a lot of hurt as well. So I don't think this situation warranted that. Although I do think that this woman can't ever be trusted and if she wants to like, if I was in that situation, if the woman wants to like stay married to me, then she can't have things like a password on her phone or like WhatsApp and traveling alone and things like that. Like, I just don't trust her anymore. I'm just doing it like for the kids now. So you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that was another part. That's what made it even more complex where he would sit behind me and he'd have pictures of his kids and he's just like, man, I really don't want to, you know, I don't want them being separated from, visiting mom sometimes, visiting dad sometimes. I really don't know what to do. So even after our lunch sessions, since he sat right behind me, I felt like I got a deeper look into a lot of this. And it, it was it showed the dark parts of a lot of these breakups. And it showed the good parts too, if you allow it. Where I know a lot of people, like after moments like that, I don't know them directly, but I've heard stories where they actually commit suicide where the the men rate for suicide often happens after a divorce. 
So I'm like, yo, bro, like, make sure you don't do anything ridiculous. And it, it was kind of good to see him blossoming into like a winner after that. Like he literally lost, I would say, like 60 pounds, uh, got in shape, became pretty high value, got a promotion, I think. So he made it work out for him. Yeah, I'm happy things worked out for him. I think that more men who kind of have everything taken away need to do that instead of, say, crying about their loss. So that's good to see. It's just one of those situations where it's just unfortunate, you know? And it's like you either go down one hell or you go down the other hell. (laughs) But you got to go down it anyway. Right. There's actually a saying for that. It's like, would you rather die by poison or get shot? Get shot. (laughs) It depends on which poison. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like if it's like, if you have to die, I think the best way to die would be like a drug overdose. One thing that I did find weird about that scenario, I'll just say the last thing and then we could move on to another topic. Like drug overdose. <laughs> no, no. Uh, the whole him just suddenly cursing at the manager that one day where there were multiple moments where he'd have mood swings. And I always thought, you know, let's say you work in a 40-hour-a-week job and let's say you've used up your sick days or let's say you even own a business. When you go through a very, I would say, a traumatic moment or a big moment, it's kind of tough just, you know, recovering in public because you could never predict this guy for like the first four to five weeks of him actually getting divorced where for Christmas, I mean, he's basically spending it alone, et cetera, where, um, yeah, man, I mean, I just thought that's uh, something that's unique where you're surrounded by a whole bunch of people and you're basically having a recovery process there. It's one of those things, I think, which kind of keep going on in the back of your head. So even when you're at work, you're not exactly at work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like it's always on at the back of your head and it's occupying so much brain space that at some point it just starts frustrating you, which is why you get mad. Right. And that's where the whole definition of a professional comes in. Where, do you have a definition of being a professional? Because I have a pretty unique definition. A professional is someone who is good enough at something that he can get paid for it. Yes. So that's a great definition. Uh, Another definition I have is, I cannot tell your emotional state based off of your work. So for example, if I get a haircut and I look at my haircut and I'm like, oh, no, my barber is definitely having a long day. Then this dude ain't a professional. I'm like, man, I have, I do not care at all how your day is going when you're cutting my hair because I expect you to do your job to the best of your abilities. And that's why being a professional, like being consistent is very tough because what most people see is the output where they'll just see, oh, this guy's showing up. But what they don't see is a lot of the, you know, the headaches, the trauma. I mean, even for one of our episodes, bro, like you actually ended up losing a close one like in that week and yet you still showed up. So I think consistent people deserve a lot of respect. 
I don't, I'm not sure about this definition where you can't tell the person's emotional state because even true professional, let's say, take sportsmen, their performance varies on their emotional state. So there is a baseline and then there is like above the baseline stuff, like bumper harvest. So but I wouldn't call that a professional though, if their emotional state is dictating their performance. It's not dictating it, but it's like, for example, let's say that I am an athlete, okay? I, I can lift, I lift, say, I let's say I'm an athlete and I my thing is I lift dead, I deadlift, but I deadlift really heavy weights. So because I'm an athlete, I'm really strong and I can always deadlift four plates. Let's say my minimum deadlift is 180, regardless of how depressed I am. But when I'm depressed, let's say that I can only deadlift 185 and not more than that properly. But when I'm like feeling really good, I can deadlift, say, 250. So 185 or is still a great deadlift. Let's say even for like a really depressed guy, it's a, it's a great deadlift. But it's not 250. So I would say professional is someone like who's good enough that he, he's above a certain baseline, regardless of what's going on and he he's good enough to be paid for it but his emotional state will definitely make a difference on like the how good he is like or how above the baseline he is well yeah that's why i personally like i'm very selective of who i call a professional where what you're describing i think that's great i think that's someone who deserves getting paid but as the spirit of professional i don't think that's a professional if he's over here varying that much. And just to give you an example, uh, I don't know why this name keeps coming up. I think this is our third time bringing up the name Michael Jordan or my time bringing it up. But because uh, I know you don't know who he is, but he's a probably the greatest basketball player of all time. And there was this one finals where his dad, um, his dad was uh, murdered and he actually had to take a break. Damn. Right, He had to take a Right. He had to take a break and he had to regroup. So when he was off the court, he was over here regrouping. By the time he came back and uh, he led his team to a 72-10 series and he ended up winning, I believe, on Father's Day, where that's a pretty traumatic moment, like losing your dad and still afterwards regrouping in your own private time, then coming back. And having the spirit of a winner, I think that's a true professional. Where I think you're talking uh, about mastery, not professional. I'm viewing them in the same light. Yes, I, I mean, I, for me personally, like when I say professional, I'm talking about someone who's on the process of becoming a master. Mm. Where let me just give you an example. Uh, do you have long hair, short? Oh, you don't want to get too detailed. Let's just say you have a certain hair that needs a haircut okay okay you go you go to the barber and the guy cuts your hair and he ends up giving you a bald spot and you're like yo man what the hell and he's like uh, i'm really sorry man um, my dog died this morning now there's two sides to you one side is the humane side you're like oh man i love my dog if i ever lost my dog i probably would have gave someone a bald spot too then there's the logical side that's going to be like, man, you just gave me a ball spot. I have to go to a wedding 
later on today. I, I'm going to look like an idiot. Now, despite the human side and the logical side, in my definition, is the barber a professional? The answer is no, because his emotional state impacted his work in a negative light. Do you consider him a professional? Mm, I don't consider him a professional here. Well, he's a professional because he got paid for his service. But I would not consider him a master of his discipline. Mm. How did this come up? I don't we remember. Were <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about how would you rather die? Would you rather get shot or would you rather die with poison? What would okay. you rather do? I'd rather get shot. I don't want to die by poison. But if you had a choice, let's say that you could die by any means possible, what would you take? If I could die by any means possible, like I'm getting killed or I'm just dying, then I just choose in my sleep. Oh, okay. Boring. <laughs> or or, or <laughs> I want my death to be the most boring thing out there. But are you talking about someone killing me? Like how any 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 possibility. Like if you if you knew that you have to die tomorrow, what would you choose? Maybe like if if God gave you the chance to say, tell me how you would like to die in your life and what would you choose? Whatever is the fastest way. So definitely not being burned alive or drowning. I, I think that goes without saying. But whatever the fastest way is. <laughs> oh, if it's like if it's like being electrocuted, if it's getting a needle and you instantaneously die. That's why I said the shooting one, because I would just assume that's the fastest. But if there's anything faster, please notify me and I'll choose that. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? I don't know. I can see various possibilities. Like I could say opt for dying in like a spacecraft crash. Like, you know, say I'm going to the moon and the spacecraft malfunctions on the way back. So either like as an astronaut or it could be like some kind of drug overdose, like, you know, heroin or something. So it's, at least it's more fun <laughs> <laughs> or something like, a bit exciting, like, you know, getting executed by a 21-gun squad. I don't, dang, man. So you, you have, like, an adventurous death planned ahead. Yeah. I don't want to die in my sleep. That's just, uh, anyone can do that. <laughs> so you're talking about uh, dying with, like, a story. It's a story worth telling. Well, some things you can only experience once, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> by definition <laughs> so I why do you want to be asleep for that you know you want to like actually feel it to know what it feels like to die no, I do not want to feel that man I want to be immortal but since that's not an option I want I don't want to know about my death that much at all do you want to be immortal in the sense that you can't be killed or do you want to be immortal in the sense that you can't die do I want to be immortal and I cannot be killed or that I do not want to die? No, so Aren't they the same that, thing? No. So, for example, one immortal is that you will not die of natural causes. But if someone comes and shoots you, then you will die. And the other immortal is that, like, you know, even if someone comes and shoots you, you will just not die. I would say the first one, because, I mean, 
I'm probably going to have to think about this, actually. I don't want to give an answer right now. But for the time being, since we're recording it on the fly, I would say the first one, just mainly because I want to be able to live for a long time. But if I die, I die. But I don't just want to die because of, you know, something that is so unnatural. Like, I, I just get something that, like a rare disease that no one could do anything about. Like, that is not something I want. Hmm. I see. Didn't you guys? Didn't you guys have a guy in India who lived up to like a hundred and twenty years? I don't know. Check. Probably. I think. Hold on. I'm like pretty sure I saw that. Yeah. So the guy's name is Ramanuja. Ramanuja. Oh, okay. Interesting. One twenty years is a long time. Yeah, he was the founder, I believe, of the Bhakti movement. But that's that's what it writes. One hundred twenty years. Isn't isn't it interesting that earlier people would live up to ninety five, a hundred, and nowadays people seem to be dying off at like sixty five? <clears throat> Is that the average age of death nowadays? It's not the average age of death, but I do know a lot of people who are dying at like sixty five, fifty five, and you know, like early seventies because of heart attacks. Ooh, that sucks. I think and it's because yet- of mostly of the vegetable oil diet we have nowadays because historically no one died at 65 of like a heart attack like in india a heart attack was considered to be one of those things which only happened to rich people and nowadays you have everyone eating garbage like vegetable oil and being somewhat obese and high body fat and people are dying off at 65 70 72 which is just so early to die like it's not it's not old enough that you should be dying. Have you ever heard of a guy called Greg Braden? I have not. You should you should Google him real quick. He is, let me see how old he is. He's 67 years old right now, but he looks younger now than he did when he was 47. So I often call him Benjamin Button. I, I mean, he has Can white hair. A G R E G G B R A D E N. Greg Braden. Okay, I see. Let me see images. Hey, this guy looks good. He's 67 years old. Interesting. Doesn't look like that old. So he's a, he, he used to be an engineer, but nowadays he's a spiritual scientist who talks about the power of thoughts and feelings. And you know, some people are like, oh, no, 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 I mean, that's not even real science. But sometimes I think, I'm like, dang, man, like, if you're saying thoughts play that much of an impact and you look like that, or I'm going to give what you're saying some, you know, uh, an extra look. I think not having a lot of stress definitely plays a role in how old you look. Speaking of stress, this is a question that we got in one of our last episodes, but for some reason, it's not showing up in my comments when I look for it, but I recall someone asked it. They wanted to know your thoughts on the NoFap movement. It works. Do you know what NoFap? Yes, it works. Okay. I, I, I've done that before. I went the whole 90-day thing. It works. It's just what- one of those things which is really hard if you try to do it at 15, 16 years old which is when I did it. And 
it's easier to do it now when I'm 25 because I have less hormones. So keep that in mind, but you're going to fail every once in a while. It's okay, but it definitely works. It's going to give you more energy and you will be able to lift heavier in the gym. You definitely will be able to lift heavier in the gym. That was my experience. And does it make you more creative? It kind of forces you to get off your ass and actually create because you have so much energy. Mm-hmm. Like when you're like jacking off all day and that's what most kids are doing <laughs> now. You, let, let's say that I had the thought, let me go to the gym. And then I like think, okay, let me just have a five minute quickie. And then after that, I just don't feel like going to the gym because I've already gotten a huge dopamine hit. So when you're jacking off constantly, you're not doing anything or not getting things done because your need for pleasure is already being fulfilled by your dick. And when you stop doing that, your body will seek pleasure elsewhere and it's usually going to be by getting things done. So it'll actually motivate you to move and finish things and actually take some action. So I'm not sure whether it directly makes you more creative, but it definitely makes you create more. Mm, okay. And would you recommend pairing it up with going to the gym? Yes. Because I did recall some people mention it and like they didn't move too much and they said they'd get angry a lot. And then if you ask them more questions, they're like, oh no, I'm not going to the gym or anything. So you think gym and no fab go hand in hand? Yes. I think that the energy has to go out somewhere. How did this movement start? I mean, do you know any history about it or is it just something that you I heard, heard about book, and tried out? I read a book called Your Brain on Porn, which was, I think, related to these guys. And it comes from the fact that a lot of people were watching porn from really early ages, including me. Like the first time I came across porn was when I was 16. And the last time I watched porn was when I was 20 or something like that. So it's like you you will notice that you become addicted to it to the sense that real women aren't as good anymore. Mm-hmm. And you will literally find that most people who watch porn, even today, they can't go like a week without watching porn. So it's like an actual addiction. And it, this was a way, I think, for people to combat that addiction. And I think the extra effects were discovered by people. I also think that culturally, NoFap has been around since forever, at least in Hinduism. Like Hinduism, will you will often find them talking about not wasting your semen and energy and not jacking off every, all the time and actually using that energy for more productive things. So sexual transmutation has been around for a while as a concept. But I think NoFap is more of a way to get rid of porn addiction. Porn addiction. And that well, sounds way cooler. Sexual transmutation. Yeah, it's, it's actually a very, very useful concept. As If you're young, definitely stop jacking off and stop watching porn. You will find your energy being converted into more useful, productive energy. So you're saying you know people that had porn addiction? Yeah, I know many people who have porn addiction or had porn addiction. Porn addiction. That's a lot like drug addiction where i mean i'm trying to imagine what it's like if they don't watch porn it's and it's kind even... of worse than drug addiction because drug addiction 
well a porn addiction is some porn addiction is something you can do from your room without going anywhere and no one ever finds out well yeah that's what i was going to say because to get drugs i mean you got to drive uh, unless you got it like that and it gets delivered to you but typically there's another point of contact that's required but with porn i mean you just got your phone and that's all you need yeah it it's like a drug in fact it behaves exactly like a drug it changes your brain in the same way drugs do and in fact you know porn shrinks your brain like it makes your it brain does. smaller like in physical size it shrinks your brain it makes you dumber and weaker as a person it reduces your willpower and it like it literally shrinks your brain it has the same effects as cocaine does it really i don't think much people know about that yeah a lot of people don't because you do you see mainstream culture they try to normalize porn in the sense that yeah it's okay everyone should watch porn and it's okay to jack off all the time but it's really not it's just it just isn't like try try not doing it for like a month and then tell me if you don't see a difference i highly recommend reading this book by the way your brain on porn really really good book I'll link it in the description box as well. Is it a new book? I don't know. I re- I read it like when I was sixteen or seventeen, so like nine or ten years ago. Let me see when it was released. I found all of this stuff early, so I got lucky. Do I don't think a lot of people know about what you just said with your brain getting smaller on porn. Yeah, your brain gets smaller. This is like not this isn't even it's not bro science. This is actual science. Isn't it crazy how much it's changed where I I would say in 2008, 2009, like getting access to porn, you typically had to pay for it. Uh, what you could do most likely was get some of the pictures and that's about it. But nowadays you get like full-on videos. Yeah, so this book was published in 2014. So I read it around 2015, so like 7 years ago or something. Okay, yeah. so it's pretty updated. I do think that it's becoming easier and easier to access porn. I in fact, I feel that in a way everything has incorporated porn to some or the other extent. For example, TV shows are they usually have tits and like you know naked women in them and youtube videos will have people kissing and things like that so it's like your general content is also becoming kind of like porn mm do you ever see them making it illegal it won't work and i don't think so like how Are would there... you even make porn illegal like you could ban one website and then 10,000 more will pop up so it's not possible to do it unless you go really crazy and become like north korea well that's what I was going to ask are there any countries right now that are trying to make it illegal well it is illegal in many countries it's just impossible to enforce right like i think in oman it's illegal i think it's illegal in a lot of these muslim countries but how do you actually enforce it so It's one of those laws which exists only on paper. And maybe some websites mm-hmm. are blocked but it doesn't really matter, you know. This is one of those things where people find a way. Mhm. 
And this book, Your Brain on Porn, does it ultimately tell you how to get yourself off of it? Or does it just give you the facts? I don't, I, don't, I don't remember. I don't remember. This was a long time ago. I think the easiest way to actually stop watching porn is to like go for a while, just jack off without porn. So get rid of porn first, and then you can work on your compulsive masturbation problem. Uh, yeah, I think it's just that simple. You ever heard of Sam Ovens? I have heard the name. I don't know where, though. Is he a yeah, writer so or something? He, nah, he's a business guy, and he helps, uh, he helps entrepreneurs start their consulting practices. And I believe he said one of his uh, best students, in terms of consultants, is one that helps professionals get off of porn. So I wonder if this is going to be a very hot niche in the near future. Hmm. Maybe I should do an ebook on this. You should. I mean, if you do, make sure you send it over. I'll post it in the description box. But I could see this being a pretty hot niche in the near future. Because for me, I mean, if you said 10 years ago that people are going to have porn addiction, I wouldn't even think it's a thing. But nowadays, I hear more people talking about it. Hey, porn addiction is definitely a thing. You should write a book on it, man. Yeah, I'm thinking of what it would look like. I can definitely, I think it's one of those things where, you know, it's like doing God's work, you know, to help someone get rid of addiction is like one of the greatest and most positive things you can do to improve a person's life. Because you've, in a way, freed him from a prison. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. I'll I'll do this this year. It's a great idea. Thank you for bringing it to me. No problem, man. Uh, that'll just be an eighty-five percent commission check. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> How about a feed no. pick instead? <laughs> <laughs> I actually do know a guy who used to struggle with alcoholism, and he would drink a whole bottle of wine by himself. And he was a little guy. I don't know if I've already bought him up before. But Wait, when how much talk- wine is normally drunk? I don't know. Is, is it normal to drink a bottle of wine or is it like too much? I mean, for a guy his height, it's probably a little too much. I do know people that do that. How big is a doing- bottle? Like how much wine is in a bottle? Uh, I don't know the exact number. Uh, and there's so many different wines out there. Let's just say it got him pretty drunk. Okay. And then... He would drink every single day of the week. Uh, he would go to work drunk at times. I mean, it was pretty obvious that he was an alcoholic. And he would talk about what it's like when he didn't drink alcohol. And he said that he couldn't sleep. He would get very jittery. His body would actually shake. And I saw this YouTube video recently of a guy who, a homeless guy who was trying to quit alcohol. And his body was just shaking uncontrollably. That's when I realized that overcoming an addiction is a very difficult thing because it's not just a mental part of it all, but there's actually a physical thing called withdrawals, which is your body saying, hey, I need it. Hook me up. And you're basically teaching your body to work in a completely different way. Yeah, there's a very good book on it. It's called The Power of Habit. And the way these addictions work is that they kind of rewire your brain to start craving the substance more and more and more. So what happens is that when you, say, take a drug, you get a certain amount of dopamine in your brain that makes you feel good. But what, what, when you keep on taking these drugs over and over again, 
you start getting less and less dopamine from the same amount. So what is your natural reaction? Well, you increase the substance in quantity. So to get the same high, you have to consume more of it. And your body becomes physically dependent because your brain will form these pathways. It's like, you know how you get hungry for food? Mm-hmm. It's like that. It's, 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 the, it's the same thing. It's your brain has formed a pathway and this pathway is really, really strong. And this pathway is telling you that you're hungry for alcohol. You're spot on because the guy initially just started off drinking half a bottle. Eventually, he drank the full thing. And I think afterwards, he would drink two. The thing with wine is that it's not that expensive either. You could get a bottle, I think, just for eight bucks in some places. So it's pretty easy to get. Yeah, it's pretty easy to get. And mind you, he's still drinking other stuff as well. He's not just drinking the wine and that's it. The thing with him was that he was a very responsible guy in other facets of his life where he would always send money to his parents. Uh, He was basically funding his little sister's college education. Uh, He was an upcoming lawyer. But that was that one black hole in his life where he would struggle with alcohol. And when he would drink, he'd become a completely different person where some people, they become friendlier when they're drunk. He'd become this demonic dude. Uh, there was actually this one time where he kicked his neighbor's dog. <laughs> and I was just like, dude, you got to you gotta stop this, man. Yeah, I think that's what alcohol does. Lose themselves. Much of it. You know? Yeah. I think all addictions do that to some or the other extent. I've seen like all these drug addicts and these guys stop getting a shit about anything. Like they'll do anything to get like some money to get drugs. Like anything, like if you say there's a drug addict and you, let's say I'll, I'll give you 20 bucks if you let me fuck you, you'll say, oh, yeah, okay, 20 bucks is good. So mm-hmm. they stop caring about anything except about getting high. So it's something that takes over your life. These are really evil substances in my way, opinion, you know. And mm-hmm. I think that humanity is better off not consuming them as a whole. Do you think people can consume it? I'm not talking about meth and coke and all that, but you know, having a social drink with some friends, you think that's something that's acceptable or you think I think many people can do that. Like they can do it. What I mean to say is that let's say that you make it available to a hundred people. Say eighty of them or like fifty of them can do it, thirty of them will go overboard sometimes and twenty of them will just go crazy. So as a society was it worth it or not? Hmm. Interesting. Now, I think you should definitely get ahead of this, man, with the, the, the book. Because I do think, in many ways, you are doing a powerful service. Especially because, I mean, with information technology and the ease of access, I mean, more and more people, I can see suffering from that. Hey, I can vouch for how difficult it can be because I came across porn when I was like 12 or 13 years old. And I remember trying NoFap when I was like 16 or 17. I don't, I think I was 16. And I remember how hard it was to go even two days without jacking off. And it was partially because of, you know, when you're 16, you have so much hormones in you that it's really hard. But also the fact that you're just addicted to doing it. Like you're just 
it's like a part of your life where you have dinner then you jack off when you wake up you jack off and it was really really difficult and i do think that people need more guidance mhm oh another one i was actually thinking about bringing this one up but it just kind of came out right now social media addiction where more and more people are actually going through it yeah social media addiction is one of those things which is like less of a problem because you got to figure out know, how to make money sure. of of it and then you'll be good i i wouldn't consider it, consider it to be a serious negative if you can figure out how to monetize it but i know some people who are monetizing it but they're very depressed because they're obsessed with it where if anytime there's a little beep automatically their body is programmed to pick it up and just consume intent intensely ah uh, you have to don't have the apps on your phone you know that's worse like i don't have like i don't have business with twitter and i don't have the twitter app on my phone like i have it on my separate work phone which i rarely use so in my pocket you will find my personal phone and the personal phone does not have twitter mm-hmm. or any other social media and that's something i learned the hard way and i bet that you learned the hard way too where if you you are going to get addicted to social media if you use it every day and since we run our businesses on social media we're going to use it every day so mm-hmm. it's one of those mitigation factors i bet you've tried out as well Oh yeah, I have an entire video on how to overcome social media addiction if people go through it. I'm going to link it in the description box right on below. Because I think in 2019, I didn't really use social media like that, uh, but I saw Victor Pride and Kyle Trouble talking about I believe getting addicted to Twitter or saying that it's possible. And I just recall there was this one day where I was just checking Twitter a lot and immediately their articles came to my mind. I was like, "Whoa, I got to nip it in the bud quick." So nowadays with Twitter, I rarely check it like that. I'll probably check it in the morning. Where my routine is pretty simple. Like I have a simple writing routine where every morning after the gym, I set a timer for 12 minutes and I write 14 to 15 tweets where it's completely unedited. I don't really care about the spelling, punctuation, any of that, and I save it in my draft section. and then throughout the day every now and then like some of it is on a twitter automation tool uh, some of them if i'm just networking with someone i'll go ahead and uh, pull it up and post it but i'm very systematic about not being on twitter too much mm that's i think it's smart i think it's smart to just view the positives of social media first so then you can start viewing it as a tool and once you start to view it as a tool you start to understand when you're using it incorrectly where some people are like oh the only way that you overcome social media addiction is to cut it off completely which may work for some people like the cold turkey approach but for a lot of people i mean they quit for a while then they come back like 10 times stronger on it you so can't think- quit social media completely though because you need the information as well for example youtube you need it if you want to study or research something mhm So you can't really cut it off forever completely. It's not it's not yeah. a practical approach. Right, and create more with it rather than just consume all the time. Yeah, I think the approach should be there that you need to create more than you consume and try to make money off of it. And 
I can definitely relate to social media addiction because I remember when I was trying to grow life math money, I would tweet 10, 15 times a day. And at that point, I wasn't using any automation tools. And all the automation tools you use today either didn't exist or they were like re relatively unknown. So what would I do? I would tweet 10, 15 times a day and I would be logged in constantly. And I got so addicted to social media or Twitter in specific that I would stop using Twitter on my computer. I would get annoyed with Twitter. I would stop using it on my computer and I would shut my PC off. And then I would go to my bed, lie down, and then unconsciously open Twitter again on my phone. <laughs> Whoa. So that's when I decided to delete these apps. But it's one of those things which is like inevitable if you have a business on social media. You just have to like make sure that it doesn't consume more time than it should. Right. And I like the benchmark to create more than you consume. Yeah, if you're consumed, like you want to use social media, you don't want to get used by social media, you know, like, so if you're using it to learn, that's acceptable. If you're using it to earn, that's acceptable. But if you're just using it for entertainment, that is not acceptable. That's like a waste of time. Right. Interesting. I so, did not expect us to talk about these two topics, <laughs> porn addiction and social media addiction. Have you ever been addicted to something, Arman? Um, let me think. I mean, I would say, yeah, in like 2018, 2019-ish, that range, I was pretty addicted to social media. Because up until then, Harsh, I wasn't, I wasn't really using social media like that in order to build. I kind of just used it to connect with people, et cetera. But this was the first time ever that I was actually getting clients from Twitter. And I thought, oh, whoa, that means I got to just you know keep posting and keep uh, tweeting. And I didn't have any systems in place where nowadays I literally just write my tweets in the morning. And I have over like a thousand tweets in my draft section. So I'm always good for tweets. But I didn't know about that before where I was just kind of like pulling up my phone and I'm like, all right, let me think of a tweet right now. And when you start off with that, now you got like all these other little steps like, oh, whoa, uh, Life Math Money just posted this tweet. Oh, whoa, this guy just posted this tweet. Let me go through my feed. I think one of the smart things I did is like, I never followed too many accounts from the Armani Talks page, which just naturally prevents me from consuming too much. But yeah, I would say like in end of 2018, early 2019 there was some social media addiction there hmm. do you know anyone who was addicted to drugs like hard drugs like meth or something i do and this got me so freaked out because there was this one kid i used to play basketball with as a little kid and i knew him for most of his life i knew his family he knew my family etc mm -hmm. and he was pretty shy and quiet for the most part But by the time he went to college, he started to do these hardcore drugs. It started off as weed, but then he started to do LSD, started to do meth, heroin, and much more. And I recall his brother hitting me up one time and is like, yo, man, me and my family are worried about my brother. Like he overdosed recently, or there's a different phrase for it, where he did too many drugs. And nowadays, even though he's sober, He just keeps seeing like these circle and triangles like anywhere that he looks. What? It's just like, yeah. So it messed up his vision. 
I'm like, man, I don't even know what to do. I mean, this is probably something you want to like have him seek therapy on. And it just messed the guy up. I mean, he was projected to be like, you know, a straight A student, uh, do some big things, but he just became a drug addict. I don't know what status he's in now. I mean, we're f- friends on Facebook, but he's he's not too active there. He doesn't really return to many people's messages. Yeah, man. I mean, he got obsessed with hardcore drugs too. I wonder where these kids get these drugs from. Like how do they have access to them? It's actually not too difficult. Like if you want to look for it, you could find it pretty easily. Because everyone knows a guy who knows a guy, in the U.S. at least. Interesting. I knew this one. Like, this guy would actually go to people's, like, go to the park and just be like, hey, man, yeah, you, you got some? Where sometimes you could tell who does drugs, and you could go to the right neighborhood and find people. It's, it's Did that you know? Simple. In some places, yeah. Like if you live in an upscale town, like you'll never know who's really doing the drugs. But if you go into like the hood, I mean, as soon as like they walk past you, you can smell it, and you'll be like, "Yo, man, uh, you got some? Uh, you got some on you?" And then they'll be like, "Yeah, yeah I got some. Meet me in the car." Huh. that sucks. Because if yeah, it's so easily available, more people are inclined to try it, and once you try it, you're fucked. Right, so it's a flywheel. If you get into it and you just keep doing it and doing it, then you are going to need more. And then from there, you're just kind of stuck. You know anyone that had addictions? Not hardcore drugs. I know some people who struggled with alcohol addiction, but not drugs. Right. Like nothing hardcore like that. That's crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. I think it's because it's probably very difficult to acquire here in India. Well, that's good news. I mean, if it's difficult to you know, acquire, that already kills off a lot of the potential addictions. Yeah, I think that these supply networks are one of the bigger causes of addiction. And it's like, like you said, you know, a self-feeding loop where a strong supply network is more likely to get more you know people to try it and more people wanting it is going to in- improve the supply network because there are more incentives to sell the price goes up right and see this is where like some shame is also every now and then good where like in terms of like my circle or a lot of like people that i know like if you tell them that you do heroin they're just going to look at you in a different way. So a lot of people are like, oh, no, I'm not going to even do it because it just perceptual-wise, I don't even know what heroin looks like. It's just that word in itself just kind of gives me that, oh, no, nah, no, nah, man. I think it's you like know? cocaine. Like you're supposed to snort it or something. Let me let me check on Google. Heroin. I know what meth looks like because I watched the show Breaking Bad a couple episodes. It's, it's a blue thing, right? So I don't think it's normally blue. I I think the main character was able to make it blue because he's a chemist. Ah. And that's what, yeah, yeah. I think it's normally see-through Heroin looks like this. It looks like like sawdust. Let me see what it looks like. Yeah, 
So large heroin. seizure of heroin along Gujarat course concerning. Wait, what the fuck is it doing in India? I am totally in support of like just shooting the people who sell heroin. Like no trial, just take them and just shoot them. Shoot them? Yeah, just behind the head. Dang, man. Because Isn't it's like pretty harsh. I think as a society the overall benefit outweighs the negative effects. You know what I mean? It's it's like if you give them like if you don't actually give them a strong enough penalty then mm-hmm. they're going to keep doing it. So I think the the real solution is to like just not not the consumers, I mean the sellers. Just find them and shoot them. Isn't that what the Philippines president yeah, was doing for a while? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he was doing. I, oh, that's what you got that idea. <laughs> I like that guy. I, I think that that guy has good ideas once in a while, but he also has like he says really stupid shit where he was saying things like, you know, if you if you haven't taken the vaccine, then you shouldn't get out of your house or something. So I like I like some of his ideas, but I don't agree with the whole I don't agree with him on everything, of course. Right. If you ever agree with someone on everything, then you should be aware. Wait, why is it? Why are people so? It's, it, apparently, not snorted. It's like there are people images of people putting it in an injection. Ugh. Wait, so it's like I a very difficult. Shots, it's very difficult to like actually take this drug. Like you would have to be very motivated to try it, like to inject it. Well, with drugs, I mean, it, it's different. Where. You know, that's something I, I actually have no clue about heroin. So here I am like, like making a perception because a lot of people just have that association with shame with it. So that's where I see some role for shame in culture. No, I mean, like what I, what I mean to say is that, for example, if it's something you snort or you smoke, then it's like really easy to consume. But apparently it looks like on the basis of these pictures, you're supposed to first put it in a spoon and then like burn it with a candle. And then put it in an injection and then take it, which is a lot of steps. It means that it's really <laughs> hard to actually do heroin. So the people who are who do it for the first time, they have to be very motivated to want to try it, like to actually get it, then like put it in a spoon, then burn it, and then put it in this injection and then take the injection. So right. It seems like way more complex than I thought. I thought it's like you know you snort it. Is this how meth is if- also done? I was literally just going to ask that. I wonder if that's how meth is taken. Uh, that This is fucked up shit. I think with meth, it's actually like this thing that you kind of smoke in a pipe. But I may be wrong. Man, I'm just using my Breaking Bad uh, knowledge for <laughs> what meth is like. I don't know how meth is taken. I think it's probably smoked. Let, let me see. Let me Google meth. Okay, so yeah, these are white crystals, and damn, you see pictures of these women who like who look like normal on the left, but on the right they have all these scars on their face. So yeah. apparently, like, makes your face itchy enough that you like cut off the skin in many places. Yeah, this is Bro, some that... real messed up shit. Yeah. Nah, see, th- these are way too hardcore. Where if someone says they smoke marijuana every now and then, like I'm never gonna be like, oh, you know, 
personally, I'm not that against, you know, legalizing it. Like, I don't really care. What is marijuana? It's a plant, right? Yeah, it's a plant. And Have you, you ever tried it? Uh, I'll plead the fifth on this one because I don't uh, know. <laughs> I don't um, had, have never had it. Never had. I've been offered many times. I've never had any of these, you know, brain altering shit. So, so, so there's other ones too where I, I've seen people who are like pretty successful. They're like, oh, no, no, I tried that. Where, uh, what's another example? There's one Mushroom that my barber. It's shrooms. There we go. It's like he says that it'll just make you question your perception of reality, but and why? he just seems like a pretty—he just seems like a pretty normal guy. So I'm like, I'm like, huh? Like, what is he seeing in it? It's not like that. I'm gonna try it, but like, I'm just trying to say that different drugs are perceived in different ways. I think that a lot of these people, these drugs have like benefits as painkillers. So if I had to say choose between an opioid or marijuana, I would probably pick marijuana. But this is like not as not a very educated opinion on the subject. I haven't like researched how weed works. All I know is that from experience with my friends who did take it, they become like really lazy after they start taking it. So my recommendation is to never take it. Mm-hmm. Like these guys became like people who would just like lie around all day and like do nothing. And uh, that's not, I don't know how good this plant is, but it's, definitely not worth wasting your life on right right have you ever been offered it i haven't offered this many times I've have you ever seen the brown have you ever seen the brownie version of it a brownie version no i have not so what they do is they'll cook it in a certain way where you put it in a brownie so <laughs> a lot of people who tried it for the first time had no clue that they were trying trying a weed brownie if you just go on Google and just type in uh, weed brownie, you'll see it. So are you supposed to... It looks I, normal. I thought you were supposed to smoke it, not eat it. No, so you could do both where you could smoke it and then, uh, you know, you could put it in like a brownie or a cookie and eat it. Does it taste good? I don't know, man. Well, people that tried it said that it tastes just like the regular brownie, but it hits you hard. Where some I people are like, man, it makes you paranoid. If someone like gave me like this weed brownie without telling me, that is like lawsuit city. Like, I didn't want to take it. You actually drugged me. Mm-hmm. The, like, that's the point also, where we are no longer friends. <laughs> there, there's also uh, marijuana smoothies. What the fuck have these guys been up to? Smoothies. Damn. Okay. I, I I think all of this stuff should be legal, including meth and heroin. I think it should all be legal because I think that takes away the allure of doing all of these crazy things and will probably help reduce consumption. Yeah, if you... You ever heard of uh, Denver? It's a city. Yeah, so Denver, they have uh, they have vending machines for marijuana. Okay. So just type in uh, a Denver weed vending machine. <laughs> vending you machine. Buy it Denver weed right. vending machine. Let me know if you see it. I see a green machine with a bunch of Coke like things inside it. Yeah, it looks like Coke, but it's actually weed. So yeah, in some places it's completely normalized. 
I do know some people who, after surgery, take it. Yeah, as like, if it kills pain, I would say it's better than taking some painkiller, which is probably worse for you. Probably. Right. Weed machine. Ha, huh, that is so interesting. <laughs> so uh, does it actually work? Like, does it, inc- did it does it reduce consumption? No, I think it's uh, it's the same. It's just that more people are making money out of it. I don't know if you've ever heard of Wiz Khalifa, but I think he's starting a medical marijuana business company. He's this a rapper. He's a singer, right? He's a singer. He's a rapper. From Fast and Furious. Yeah, there we go. How do you know? How do you know that? <laughs> I watched the movie Fast and Furious. I think I watched anything before 2014. I've probably watched. Have you ever heard of The Rock? Uh, yeah, he's an actor and like really jacked guy. Yeah, yeah. But for Wiz Khalifa, he may become a billionaire from uh, his business, like the weed business. Possibly. I mean, I read some articles. I don't know how much truth there is to that. But I mean, if weed's gonna be around, I mean, why not legalize it and make it, you know, tax it, ma- make it make money? Yeah, it tax it, like reduce. Have you ever tried cigarettes? What? Have you ever tried cigarettes? Cigarettes? No. no, no, I have never tried cigarettes. Pan? Did we talk about that? I've never had the pan that has like tobacco. Like I've had normal mita pan, which is like which has, which is like a mouth freshener, which even kids can have. I've had mm-hmm. that. I've never had the one which is which has tobacco and tuna and things like that. Right. So let me show you a picture of Meetup on it. It's actually stored for like it's actually sold for like five to ten rupees as like a mouth freshener. Okay, it's pretty common, right, in India where there's just a stand selling it. Uh yeah. The you're talking about the tobacco one, right? Mm-hmm. It used to be way more common. Nowadays, it's not. The Meetapan stuff is like you'll get it after like a meal at a restaurant. That is like a normal mouth freshener. Mm-hmm. I've had that a couple of times. It actually tastes quite good. It's very sweet. It's like a leaf and they put all these sugars inside it. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what you're talking about. That's pretty common in New York. Like there's a part in New York that only Indians and Bengalis live in. Mm-hmm. So they sell a lot of those types of bonds there it's in jackson height huh interesting i don't know that new york seems like an interesting place i've heard there's a place called brooklyn which has a lot of jews so it's like a mini israel or something like i have a jewish uh, i have a jewish business partner who was selling me right yeah i mean if you go on new york i mean there's so many different ethnicities there's a place literally called chinatown yeah i've seen I've actually played a game like GTA, some GTA game, which has a Chinatown. And I was Googling Chinatown and apparently it's a thing. Mm-hmm. When we were little kids and visiting New York, whenever my mom and dad were like, we're going to Chinatown, me and my brother would get so happy because you could get so much stuff for so cheap over there. I'd be buying watches and a lot of these different gifts. Oh man, when it comes to China. It's cheap for a reason. <laughs> yeah, no, I trust me, trust me, I know. But the first day you get it, you're like, man, like this looks so cool. I'm gonna wear it to school. And one of the watches that I got had like this little basketball hoop in it with the ball going in. I was like, man, look how cool this looks. So it's like blinked. So when we're in school, a lot of the kids were like, Oh my, Armani, like where'd you get this from? 
and a lot of the girls would come up to me too. I'm like, yeah, just check out my watch. Over time, they're like, let me look at this watch real quick. And it started to f- uh, rust. <laughs> so you can see a little bit of brown on it. I was like, damn, man. That's why it was so cheap. Yeah, I don't understand why it's so bad, low in quality. Like you could like have like a high quality version, which is not as cheap. And I think people would still buy it. Do you wear any jewelry? No. No watches, bracelets or anything? I wear a watch. I have a G-Shock that I bought. So it's the first purchase I made. It's first major purchase from the money that I earned. So I've had it ever since I started like working. Hmm. I haven't replaced it yet though. It's like a cheap $100, $100 watch. Like the G-Shock Dark Knight. And now I could buy like a Patek or something or like a Hubolt. And I just... I just want to keep this watch for like some more time. There's memories associated with it. No, it just, it's like the first purchase I made and it's still working. So why throw it away? But isn't there a little bit of connection with, you know, your first internet dollars bringing this to life? Oh, no, this was not from internet dollars. This was from like an actual, you know, an internship. Oh, okay. As an accountant, right? Yeah, so I was doing my article trip. Yeah, I do. I do. And I'm not too emotional about it. It's just something I've had for like a long time, you know. And I don't want to just throw it away. Are you emotional about like any of your like material objects? No. Okay, so for me, the main thing was my car, where my dad bought me this car in 2010, I believe. It was a, a maroon Honda Civic. And I drove it for so freaking long where around that stage, most of my friends were like, yo, man, it's time to get a new car. But just emotionally, I couldn't get rid of that car because I had so much memories in it. So, I mean, before I think I would judge someone, or I'm like, oh, come on, man, it's just a material object. But for certain things, man, it just hits you. And for me, it was that car. I don't know about that, Arman. I can't relate. I've never been attached to something. It never bothered me to like just replace something I've had. It just with this watch, I don't want to do it because it's still working. It's one right. of those like things like you know you like you're taught in like when you were a kid where if it's working, then why do you want to replace it? Type stuff. Mm-hmm. So if I it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah, if it's not broke, like why buy a new one? And it just it doesn't feel like it feels like a waste of money to like, buy a new watch, even though I know this watch is like you know doesn't fit the standard anymore. But I've had mm-hmm. it for a while. It works well. So uh, it's there. I might buy a new one soon, though. Because Are you going to get rid of this one? I'll keep it, maybe. The, the thing <laughs> is, it's, it's starting to look a little awkward in my hand now because it's like it, it goes with the vibe of like a broke college kid or, you know, like a young adult. But as I'm growing older, like wearing a G-Shock doesn't go anymore, you know? Like it breaks the look. You should get an Armani exchange watch. Oh, is that? Oh, I thought it was like a, a brand that sells suits or something. No, they sell watches too. They have smart watches out now. I was thinking of a brand, thinking of a brand called Psycho, S-C-I-K-O, if you've heard of it. I have heard of it. That's pretty, they make pretty good watches. What is the difference between like a good watch and a bad watch, like outside of the brand? Like what should we look for? So it should be waterproof. And most watches are waterproof nowadays. If you're just getting the metal bands one, it should 
it should last you for some time where you should get some sort of warranty if possible. Are you a big fan of the leather watches or the metal bands? The or leather ones because the, the metal ones kind of bang on the table for me. Okay. Yeah, so for that one, I mean, there's much more options where I would just definitely recommend a name brand one because normally they last longer. Where if there's cheap, if you don't walk around with it a lot, then it dies quicker. I've heard there's like two types of watches. Like there's like a quartz watch and there's like a mechanical watch. And the Mm -hmm. mechanical watch is the ones which are good and like worth paying for or something. Right. That I'm going to have to look into. I mean, for me, the decision is pretty easy all the time because I only wear two types of watches. It has to either be Fossil or Armani. Uh, Every now and then I'll get another one if it's a gift, but those are the two that I prefer. See, I have a whole, I have a huge watch collection, man, but I don't think you could relate with that because you probably don't have any sort of attachment to like collectibles. That's what I have one watch. The only thing collect I collect any... is books. Oh, okay. But that's like not me collecting. It's just if I come across a book, I'll just buy it. Or just stacking up. Yeah, they just they just keep stacking up. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad habit, you know. <laughs> because I know there's no way I'm going to read this book in the next five years, but I would still buy it. You have a bookshelf? I have a huge bookshelf with like three, four hundred books maybe. Whoa. Do you have a certain amount of books you read every year or you just kind of wing it? So until say 2019 or until say 2020, I was reading like 20 books a year or something. But lately the number has fallen drastically because I'm spending more time learning computer science and it's kind of replaced the amount of books I've read. Like earlier I would read like two hours per day, but now I just use the time for computer science. Do you like reading or is it something that you just feel like you have to do? Both. So I like reading a lot. But sometimes when a book is boring, but I know the information is valuable, I will still like slog through it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I, I was reading this book. It's called Plutarch's Lives. The book is really, really good. But half the book is about gods which existed 2,500 years ago. And you don't really care, you know? So... It's some some of them you have to slog through because the quality of the information is good, but most books are a pleasure to read. Okay, if so a that's book sucks, I like will, a typically if a book sucks and I don't find the information valuable, I'll just like get a new book, throw it away. Mm-hmm. Do you read one book at a time or multiple? I read like ten books at a time or something, like twenty, twenty-five books at a time. Okay, same. Well, not 20, but I'll typically have three books. But when I say read, I mean like I might, for some books, I might only read like 10 pages a year. Mm -hmm. So there's a book I've been reading for like the past five years. And I only read like, say, every couple of months I'll read a bit and then I'll just forget it. See, that's where I'm obsessive about finishing a book. Because there were three books where like it was literally the last two chapters that like shifted my perspective. I was just like, man, because I I know like a lot of people heard, um, I think it was Naval's uh, appearance on Joe Rogan, where he says he just, he doesn't really finish books, kind of picks it up and lets it go. And most people were like, yeah, yeah, then I don't have to finish the book. And I was thinking about doing that for a while. 
But nowadays, I have to finish a book if I open it. Maybe not immediately at that spot, but you know, one day I'm gonna finish it. Ah, like the the promise of tomorrow. <laughs> like there was this book by um, what's his name, Joe Dispenza's Becoming Supernatural, and the book is good, but you gotta like really focus. And I was just over here reading it, and then I finished halfway in, and I'm like, I'll come back. And then one day I'm reading another book, and it just reminded me of Supernatural because they're over here connecting a lot of the s- similar concepts, talking about the same thing. So that's when, like, I would say like eight weeks later, I opened up Supernatural and finished it. And it just felt like a whole new book. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, you just become a better speaker, thinker. I, I actually really do like reading. I used to hate it, man. Uh, but nowadays, I enjoy it. Do you like audiobooks? See, that I got to give it more of a chance. Uh, it's just uh, something I don't do. Like the mere idea of reading a book seems just, or excuse me, listening to a book doesn't seem like, I don't know, it just doesn't feel like it's for me. I like holding it. Yeah, I used to think that as well, but then I tried audiobooks and I really like it. I really, really do like it. Like, how do you listen to it? In the gym? Or no, what do you so do? No, so when I'm like, say, out for lunch or something and I want to like listen to a book, I just like, so first of all, not all books make good audiobooks, okay? You want to get a book which is like a story. So it's like either a fictional or a non-fictional story, like an autobiography or something. Because those books are much easier to listen to. And you want to listen to them while doing things like walking or, you know, washing dishes or something which doesn't involve a lot of brain power. So it's like get, it's like get, making more use of the same time. Okay. And typically, okay. I'll only so like listen to books which I'm not going to read in real life. So, for example, I might listen to some kind of autobiography which I know I'm not going to pick up in real life, like in, in like a physical format. So things of that sort. But give it a try. It's actually really good. And you could even try podcasts. Like, check out this one. It's called Hardcore History by Dan Carlin. And it's really mm-hmm. good. Okay, I'll check it out. See, that's where that's where you know I start to think sometimes. I'm like, man, there's no way I could listen to a book. But I'm like, well, books are kind of like podcasts, so I can see that. I'll definitely give it a chance. Yeah, some books make better audiobooks than others, though. Like some books mm-hmm. are really boring. Like I, I I listened to like say one third of this book called No More Mr. Nice Guy, and it was like torture. <laughs> it's like the book is really slow, and he's like saying really obvious shit all the time. Uh huh. And you're like, why was this book even written? Right. So some books just suck as audiobooks. You want like fast moving books, like Into Thin Air, which is like a story, but it's a lot of fun to listen to. Hmm. Do people, your friends, ever gift you books? Sometimes, but they're usually like crappy books. Right. Because most of my buddies don't get me gifts. Like they'll probably take me out to dinner or something. But there was just this one birthday. I think it was my 27th birthday where one of my close buddies was like, yo, I got a gift for you this year. I'm like, what? That's like me hitting you up randomly, Harsh, being like, hey, Harsh, I, I sent you a gift. It was like, what the heck? When did you start getting me gifts? <laughs> so I had <laughs> I had no clue what to expect. And he got me this really, really good book um, that talked about, you know, it's like a, it was an athletics book. But it just taught so much about business, how to be an expert in your craft. 
and it was like perfect quality too. That's what I'm like, yo. If you're gonna get me a gift, you should either give me a watch or a book. Hmm. I don't but need anything fancy. It's kind of it kind of has to come from someone who knows you, like because typically when you get a book as a gift, you get one of these like bestsellers, which are like complete nonsense books, like. You know, this one by Michelle Obama, like becoming Obama or something. And like, I'm not going to read this book. I think it's garbage. (laughs) It's like, it has to like be a good book. Otherwise, it's just going to end up like in some drawer somewhere and never be read. Absolutely. I think when you were recommending someone a book, simply giving it to them because you liked it is not enough. You actually have to know the person, what they want to improve, and then give the book. Do you like getting gifts, Arman? Like, do you like being gifted something? Not really, no. I mean, if if it's a close one, sure. But I'm not really one of those guys that likes, you know, over here celebrating my birthday, you know, making this like big hoorah about it. I'm pretty low-key in that regard. Where I know certain people that make a whole birthday weekend, and some even do birthday weeks. I can't even picture doing something like that. You? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's the same, same, you know. I think that's more like a feminine thing. Like, girls like doing it, but uh, like I, I can't see myself doing it. I don't even like receiving random gifts because I have this very strong need to reciprocate. Like, you've done something for me, now I have to do something for you to make up. Right. <laughs> so it's, do it you give like gifts? No, I don't. Like, unless, like, you give me a gift. <laughs> Like you give me like two, three gifts and now I have to give you something back. <laughs> then I don't, yeah. Oh, that's too funny. But yeah, it creates this obligation thing, you know? Right. No, I agree with you where you seem like a pretty like low-key guy with uh, like gifts. In India, if it's your birthday, do people come and like do the waiters and waitresses sing happy birthday to you? I mean, if you're like five, six years old, yeah, sure, why not? Okay, they do it. I mean, I was at a restaurant recently, and they were singing happy birthday to, I would say, like a 65-year-old woman. And whenever it's my birthday, that's the last thing I want. I don't want a bunch of random people, you know, singing happy birthday to me and, and like making me the center of attention like that, which you would think it's like, well, what's the big deal? It's just with birthdays, man, I'm pretty low-key. I don't need like a big hoorah at all. I think some of these restaurants in the U.S. like give you free food, right? If it's your birthday. Yeah, I mean, more often than not, they'll give you a free cake at least. Interesting. Yeah, so we don't have that here. You don't get anything for free. <laughs> you don't get a free cake? No. Nothing is free. You got to pay for it. Man, even like on your birthday. Practical like that. I mean, the restaurant owner doesn't know you, right? So it's not right. his responsibility to spend his money to give you cake. <laughs> Otherwise, like you'll make like 365 cards and every day is your birthday, you know? Yeah. Do they give you a discount? No. <laughs> like it's your that's, birthday. That's actually really, really unique. I'm trying to think. See, they won't do that in like fast food restaurants here. But if it's like, like let's say it's a quality restaurant, they'll most likely give you a birthday discount at least. Mm. Or like a cupcake. Yeah, they don't do anything like that here. Like, not that I'm aware of. Aware of. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Nice, Harsh. Well, we actually ended up going 45 minutes more than we expected. 
Uh, this was a very good episode. We covered a wide range of topics. Yeah, I can't wait to release and like see how people like it. Yep, it'll be out tomorrow. So, oh, by the way, please don't do the cocaine or heroin or whatever. You know, just bad idea for anyone in the audience who's considering it. Oh yeah. In fact, well, don't even it, do c- cigarettes ever. Okay, like it's it's one of those things which you just people just start doing because they think it's not as bad, but then they become addicted to it and it's way worse. So just don't do it. Do you eat candy or you don't really eat candy like that? I mean, if I'm given a candy, then I might eat it. You know, I don't, it's not something I like. I go, I would not go and buy candy, mm-hmm. but sometimes it just ends up in your hands. Now, I was wondering if there ever, anyone ever got addicted to candy before? Like, wait, what, when you say candy, do you mean like chocolate or do you mean like the sugar toffee type stuff? Either or, like anything that's super sugary. Or like they need it, otherwise they can't function. I knew a guy like that with Diet Cokes. Like he had to have at least like a pack a day of Diet Cokes. And that has zero calories though. So is it like really so bad? But isn't there something called like aspartame or something in it that causes cancer? Or is that just... Really? I I mean, I I always hear about it. Like people, I see actually tweets on it that Diet Coke isn't that healthy. But it's but not healthy I don't know for if that's sure. Science. It's not. It's not unhealthy. It's it's unhealthy, but it's definitely not as unhealthy as like a three hundred calorie Coke or something. Right. So you don't do like Coke or Coca Cola, by the way, <laughs> or candy or anything like that. No, I definitely eat chocolate every once in a while. I don't eat uh, this stuff. I don't have Coke. I don't like it. Like I don't like the whole burpy feeling after it. So I, I'm. Oh, I, so you're so not I, a. You're not a soda fan. No, I'm, I have like soda like say once or twice a year. Once or twice a year? Yeah. That's very rare. Yeah, it's like, you know, sometimes you just get it at a restaurant for free. And then you're like, okay, let me just have it now. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes the restaurant will mess up your order and then they just give you a free Coke to make it up to you. Right. So that's typically the only time I'll have a Coke. But otherwise, not really. I never have Coke. I don't like it that much. Like it makes it gives you this weird burpy feeling for the rest of your day, mm-hmm. and it doesn't even taste that good. Yeah, like if I go to a fast food restaurant and they're like, "What kind of drink would you like?" I never get the Coke, but I'll get the lemonade. I'm a uh, huge lemonade fan. I like coconut water. Oh, bro, I hate coconut water. You gotta try this stuff. It's called coconut jelly. It's really good. Coconut jelly. Let me write. Do you guys have Narikaltel over there? What? It's like coconut oil that you put on oh, your hair. Narikaltel. Yeah, yeah, we have that. Everyone has uh, Wait, is it like rare in the West? Are you talking about the one that you put in your food or the one that you put in your hair? The hair one. Yeah, dude, that's really that's really rare. Is it? Interesting. Like everyone uses it here in India ever since they're like kids. Narikaltel. Naril Katel. It comes in a blue bottle. It's like from a right. company called Parachute. Yes. Yep. Yep. That one. Ah, yeah. It's you guys, super common. You guys ever put mehndi in your hair? Oh, mehndi. Yes. Women do that. You put it in your hair? Women do that, like to brown their hair. Mm-hmm. Like it's like a natural form of hair color. Hmm. Okay. See, that's rare too. 
i think these are like most you know indian things which you know westerners are unlikely to do do you guys have a lot of coconut trees in the us some places yeah for florida we're predominantly known for oranges but there are places for coconuts ah uh, because in india you have like coconuts across both coasts so it's like super common for people to use coconut oil do you use it or is it for women mainly i used to use it as a kid but i haven't like oiled my hair in years now there's a strong smell associated with it though Yeah, more of it like kind of like makes your hair like become really shiny for the next few days because oil doesn't come out so easily. Mm-hmm. And this looks like it looks bad. It looks very nerdy. Right. So I haven't done it in a while, although I should do it because it's like very good for your hair. Oh, I've heard it? like lately these oils are like kind of contaminated with something or the other. So it's not as good. but yeah it's supposed to be good for your hair like if you can get actual oil mm yeah it just the stench is way too strong for me it depends on which oil you're using because some oils actually have a very good smell like almond oil almond oil maybe i maybe have heard almond, of it almond almond a l m o n d i used to use it a lot when i was a little kid like, cuz my hair used to be long So I would put it on my hair and I thought I was the man. And then <laughs> afterwards the kids were like, "Yo man, why do you smell like that?" I was like, "What are you talking about?" It's like when you have it on, you stop smelling it after a while, but others notice it. You could put it up like on like a Saturday evening so that it's there until Sunday morning and then wipe it off. Yeah, I'm not that dedicated. You have short hair, right? I have like normal guy hair, like short hair, yeah. Okay, same. Did you ever have a stage where you had long hair? No. Well, I had like longer hair for a guy but not like women long hair, you know? Like to your shoulders ever? No. <laughs> That's way too much hair. I don't like I had... having super long hair. It gets in the way and it has to be maintained. I used to have very long hair and it, it almost went up to my shoulders. Mom. Send me a photo. I'll send you a photo. It's on my Instagram. Okay. Armanitox_ If I don't know if we follow each other on Instagram, but let me see wait Instagram. dot com Armani talks underscore. Do you see it? Oh yeah, or do you see my private. profile? Yeah, it is private. Yep. There's Request actually a guy them. who. There's actually a guy who has the name Armani Talks, and I'm like, man, why you got my name, bro? And he never posts, so I had to add that little underscore. So if you guys are listening to this and want to follow me on IG, it's Armani But Talks. Why is it a private? Oh, is it private right now? Yeah. Well, there was a guy I recall who was like impersonating as me, and he was following a bunch of random people that, or that I follow. So I was just like, okay, let me just make it private right now. But the guy then changed to another person. There's a lot of these impersonators that are. Yeah, but I, how does you making your account private help? Can you see who I'm following? Oh wait, let me check. I cannot. Okay, so that's the main reason why, because he was over here following every account that I follow. But how does it? And matter? he was. I mean, he was over here using the same profile picture as me, 
So they thought, yeah, I mean, he disappeared after a while. I was like, man, I'm actually getting copied. I thought these were for like big accounts, like Life Map Money and the big accounts. Hey, so you like, are a big account. What are you talking about? Well, I thought it was like, you know, if you have like 200,000 plus followers, that's when you're getting copied. So when I started getting copied like that, I thought that was pretty funny. I had this random doctor recently who was, because I certainly got a bunch of followers on Instagram. I was like, who's like, who's over here, you know, giving me shout outs. And there was this big doctor that was like posting my tweets on his Instagram. And he'd write a credit caption, Armani talks at the end. And it was a big account. So you never know who finds your content. And that's good to hear, man. <laughs> it's always good to like get credited because sometimes these guys will just take your work and not like even mention that it comes from you. Right. So that's good. Yeah. So once I approve you, uh, I'm just going to, what do you call it? I'm going to, my phone's charging right now. But once I approve you, if you scroll down, you'll see some pictures of me with long hair. But it was way higher maintenance. Nowadays, I just get out the shower, comb it to the side. I put a little bit of a gloss, and that's about it. What's a gloss? It's just something that makes your hair a tad bit shinier. It's kind of like a gel. Oh, okay. Where before, I had to like wait for a long time, wait for it to dry, and then... I don't know. Just keep it short. Keep the hair short. I see. Arman, I've got awesome, to get man. going, though, so... For sure, for sure. Great episode. We'll uh, we'll talk again soon. Yeah. Uh, any episode. other announcements? Uh, not for today. Okay, sounds good. All right, Harsh, uh, I'll catch you next time. And thank you guys very much for joining the Unapologetic Truths episode 15. Yeah, bye-bye.